Welcome to another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. We're talking about tonight, we're in part three of Letters from Prison. And uh, as you know, if you've listened to part one or part two or read the notes, which you can find on easysermons.com or you can find them at cotr.com. Or you can go to churchonline.tv and you can uh, uh, listen to the last two messages. But we're in part three. And part three uh, of, of our letters from prison is to, going to talk about superhuman energy. Superhuman energy. What in the world is that? Well, it's, it's what maybe you would imagine. Maybe you've seen Hollywood trying to uh, you know, uh, uh, calculate that, what that would look like with some superhuman energy going on in some, uh, you know, uh, their expression of perhaps um, magic or some superpower. Uh, but uh, we'll talk about this in just a moment. You know, Paul's prison epistles include four books, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and the book of Philippians. And uh, we know from the account of Acts 25 and, uh, and also uh, Acts 28 that rather than being placed under the authority of the Jewish court system, the Apostle Paul elected to do something that his citizenship provided him. He was a Roman citizen and he elected to appeal to Caesar. He didn't want to be sent back to Jerusalem and judged by the religious court of that day. And he said, I make my appeal to Caesar. It was a right of his citizenship. And so uh, uh, under his legal appeal, the Apostle Paul ended up in Rome in prison he was basically under house arrest for at least two whole years in rome you know uh that was uh, uh many believe that 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 after he was in prison for a couple of years there that he was released in about 62 or 63 and that he went and evangelized and visited more churches and then subsequent to that sometime after a.d 64 uh, many believe that the apostle paul was re-arrested under emperor nero why because in A.D. 64, Rome burned. Y'all remember uh, Nero fiddled while Rome burned? Well, he actually didn't fiddle. He wasn't even in Rome. Okay? He had gone out of Rome for a little while, many people imagine, so that Rome could burn. Because he was wanting, uh, you know, I, I don't mean to throw in this history here, but he was wanting to build some apartments around what was the Circus Maximus. And nobody wanted him to do it. And so while he was out of town, it just all burned down. And so when he got back to town... People really imagined he did it, and they started you know, accusing him of, turn, of, of, of burning it down. Well, he had to blame shift. He had to get the heat off of him. So what Nero did is he turned his attention to the Christians and said, Look, these Christians, I mean, they, you know, Paul has been preaching that, that they're not a part of the Jews, that you don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. Therefore, Gentiles can be Christians or Jews, but you don't have to be a Jew. Well, Jews are a protected religion in Rome. Christianity, if they're not under Jews, they're not protected. So it's open season on Christians. 
So let's get them because they're the ones that really burned Rome down. They burned. So he just started saying, Christians burn Rome. You know, I'm, I'm really minimizing this, but that's basically what happened. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm really paraphrasing this. Christians burn Rome. And so Nero started really reaching out with persecution Christians. And many people believe it was during that period that, uh, that when Nero was persecuting Christians, I mean, he was doing things like putting them on, 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 on stakes, like popsicle sticks, and you know, setting them on fire to light up his new garden that he had built he was one wicked and evil man but many believe it was during that time that the apostle paul was re-arrested brought back to prison might have spent a year or two in prison around uh, 64 late 64 65 66 and then perhaps in 67 was beheaded well uh, it was many believe during that first imprisonment imprisonment Around the year 62, when the Apostle Paul would have been about 58 years old, a well-seasoned man, a man who had gone through a lot to preach the gospel, and he's writing what we understand are these four prison epistles that he wrote during that, what I will call the first imprisonment, okay? Uh, and Ephesians, Colossians, the book of Philemon, and then also the, the, the book of Philippians. And so we have been studying. If you want to find out a little more information, you can you know, get the notes from the first two sermons. And, and I think I, uh, uh, first two parts, I think I covered a little bit more. But let's begin with this third part of our series by reading, uh, begin reading. We'll just read a few verses. We'll start at verse 1 in chapter 3. And we'll survey a few verses and we'll end up focusing on superhuman energy. All right? Are you ready? Now, just a side note, by the way, this is for free. This is something the Lord said to me late today, and I just threw it in my notes real quick for what it's worth to you. Uh, not all of the gospel is go and do. I thought that was interesting because I was questioning the Lord about something. And he said this today. Not all of the gospel is go and do. Some of the gospel is sit and listen. I asked him for a word. Can you give me a word on that? And he, 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 he took me to Luke 10 and Martha and Mary's conversation with Jesus about Mary being encumbered and Martha sitting and listening. Not all of the gospel is go and do. Some of the gospel is sit and listen. And, uh, you know, you, you, you never know what the Holy Spirit may want to teach you if you'll take time and value just sitting and listening. Not everything is let's get up and charge out and go do something. Right? Philippians, the third chapter, verse 1. Finally, my brethren... Now, notice here he's, 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 he's collecting this, the, the, these Christians. Finally, Christians. You know, uh, 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 finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now, uh, whenever he's telling the Christian rejoice, uh, let, me, uh, let me remind you that we as Christians... Uh, we have a greater reason and a greater source of real joy than any other person on the planet, no matter where they live or what they're going through. We have a real source of joy. We have a reason to be happy. We have a Savior uh, in whom we can always find peace. We have a God whose character can always uh, contemplate. We, we, we can always contemplate God's character with, with, with pleasure, and, uh, you know, we have a heaven to look forward to. 
where there's nothing but happiness. And we have a Bible that is filled with precious promises. And we always have the opportunity to pray, no matter what situation we're in. We can always lift up our voice, our, our conscious considerations to God. You know, uh, there's no one on earth who ought to be more happy than a Christian. Even when they're having to hear something they've heard before and before and before and before and having to hear it again and again and again. He tells them, rejoice. Now I realize I'm going to be telling you some of the same things that I've been saying to you all along. And it sounds repetitive and it sounds kind of first grade. But you need to rejoice because it's safe for you to hear these things over and over and over again. It's very interesting. It's not difficult or laborious, Paul said, for me to keep telling you the same things. In fact, I know it's for your safety, for your benefit. It's best for you that I do that. Rejoice, he said. Rejoice. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision. Now, bear in mind in that day that there was quite a controversy in this moment between Jews who had been converted to Christianity and Gentiles who had been converted to Christianity because Jews were a part of the circumcision of the flesh and because of that fleshly circumcision they had a claim an earthly fleshly claim to a covenant with Jehovah but the Apostle Paul, who is a Jew and who is circumcised, is preaching to both Jews and Gentiles that there is a greater circumcision that God had always intended. And it's a circumcision of the heart, not a circumcision of the flesh. Romans, the second chapter, verse 9. As well, in Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter, in verse 16, even Moses talked about how there was a circumcision of the heart. It's not just an act of the flesh. It's not just a fleshly circumcision that God requires to give you a covenant with Him. The Apostle Paul is saying that we, we who have been born again, we are the true circumcision. We are those who are consecrated, those who are sanctified, those who have identified with Christ. We, uh, and, and, and that's what circumcision did in the flesh. It, it, it was a consec consecration unto God, a sanctification. It was, it, it was a covenant. It was making of a covenant. It was a, 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 an, an identity, an identifying you know, a, a character in your life. I mean, you could tell. All you had to do is just strip people naked. You could tell who had a covenant with God and who didn't. But Jesus says there's a different way. That circumcision of the flesh, as the Apostle Paul was preaching, after the death of Christ, circumcision of the flesh was not what produced covenant. Because the covenant was a spiritual covenant, a covenant of the heart, a circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh, an inner reality, not an, not an outward show. We cannot depend, the Apostle Paul is teaching them, we cannot depend on any earthly-based advantage of birth. We cannot depend on any earthly-based human achievement. We cannot depend on any outward works to impress God or to satisfy God's requirement for covenant. All earthly gain, he says in verse 8, is rubbish. Rubbish. I like that word. Don't you like that word? Rubbish. It was rubbish. I believe the, the King James Version calls it dung. I don't particularly like that word. <laughs> but it's rubbish. 
It's just rubbish in the face of knowing Jesus. He says in verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. You know, true righteousness, he said, comes uh, only from God by faith in Jesus. It cannot come from climbing some religious ladder or being born into a perfect family. It cannot come because your grandmother was born again or because your name's on the, the role of a church. Uh, position and possessions make no one right, let alone righteous with God. I'm going to say that one more time. Position and possession makes no one right. You're not right because you have a position or because you have money. Let alone are you righteous with God because you have some earthly birthright, because you have some advantage in life or some achievement. The Apostle Paul said, I count all of that rubbish. It's nothing. My accomplishments are nothing. And because they are nothing, they cannot make me righteous. They cannot save us, verse 9 tells us. Verse 10, he says, rather, that I may know him. Boy, what a, what a statement. That I may know him. That I, I mean, this, this was the pursuit of, of Paul's heart and pursuit of every person who has a commitment to fully follow Christ. Now, you can be born again. I had an experience. I was born again. And at the time I was born again, I knew I was saved. I could tell I was different on the inside. I knew that, that I changed. I knew that I was sincere and I was saved. But I did not pursue God. I did not pursue church. I didn't pursue righteousness. I didn't pursue God. I didn't pursue holiness. I did not, uh, 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 you know, as some defense, I did not know. No one told me about discipleship. And it's, you know, I, I, I should have, you know, and I felt the prodding of the Lord for years. And I, I, I just didn't pick up on it. Now, maybe I'm not the sharpest knife in the bucket. But nonetheless, uh, you know, uh, you can be saved. You can be a Christian and not look like one, not act like one. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you that. Uh, but when you come to the place where you make a commitment to fully follow Christ, then you understand what the Apostle Paul is saying. That I may know him. This has been a pursuit of mine now for years since I came to the place to where I got serious. You know, uh, where, where, where I decided I was going to stand toe-to-toe with all of the inadequacies that I offered to God. And that, that I was no longer going to uh, try to escape and try to make excuses and, and just try to, you know... Uh, live my life like I wanted to live it. I got serious about Jesus. I don't know how many of you know the difference between you when you got saved and when you got serious, but I know the difference in my life between when I was saved and when I got serious. And when I got serious, this same sentiment came out of my heart and out of my life that I might know him. Oh, today I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. I, you know, I, I, I would, I would uh, you know, uh, I, I can't say gladly, but I can say with full commitment I would crawl into his skin. 
I don't think I'd do a good job, but it wouldn't be because I wouldn't give it my best shot. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship, and, and, and uh, you know, being conformed to his death. This is the Apostle Paul's desire to, to abandon what he's saying, just, just, just to abandon my own pursuits. Uh, that's what Jesus did. He, he left the throne in glory to come and be born as a man and to walk the earth in such a limited fashion and yet still being the son of almighty god what an amazing uh, amazing reality uh, that i may know him this passage by the way contains uh, I, I learned it when i first began to pursue christ in a in a fully devoted way and 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 uh, I, I i read it in the king james version allow me to read this to you because the language to me is beautiful it just captures the heartfelt sentiment of a believer whose desire is to fully follow him okay um uh, it it just says I'll, I'll just read it quickly 10 through 14 that i may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ. Brethren, he said, I do not count myself to have apprehended, to have arrived, to have achieved this, to have accomplished it. I do not count myself to have come to the place where I've really died to myself and, and only lived to him. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, there's, there's, you know, we still wrestle with our flesh. But, oh, <laughs> he has a remedy. I don't count myself to have gotten to the place where Jesus was, to where I have fully emptied myself of myself. And, you know, it's the Father that dwelleth in me. He does the works. That's what Jesus said about himself. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Oh, that's, that's a challenge. But that's what chapter 3 teaches us, that we need to do a little forgetting of those things which are behind. And sometimes the greatest forgiveness that we can achieve is forgiving ourselves and realizing that God forgave us long ago and that we need to come to the place where we can forget those things which are behind and reach forth under those things which are before. This, this is, is, is the cap on the bottle of this sentiment. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 14 from his heart of hearts as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I press, he said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark for the prize. I want the prize and I'm going to keep pushing toward this mark. I'm going to keep pushing toward this place to where I too lay down my life. I deny myself, I take up my cross, and I follow Christ. I quit telling myself who I am, and I let him tell me who I am. I quit listening to other people about what I can do, and I let him tell me what I can do. I quit limiting myself and telling myself that I am not. And I say, I've got to forget my yesterday. I've got to forget my this morning. I've got to forget my this afternoon. In any place where I did not reflect Christ, and I have to because I want to know him, I have to fully follow him. And what I need to do is press. I've got to get up and push back in because I want the prize. I want the well done from him. I want, I want him to say, you did good, son. You know, I, I don't want him to look at my last mistake. I want him to look at my last attempt to do it his way. 
to do, you know, to lay down my life, take up my cross, and let him be God. Let him be the God of the answer. Let him be the God of the solution. Let him be the God of the promise and the God of the process. I'm just going to have to let him, and that's where I want to get to, to where I am at peace with the will of God, and I am no longer wrestling and struggling with the enemies of my, of, of, of my life, in my head, in my heart, in my family, in my, in my world, but rather it's Christ, and I'm pleasing him no matter what else. You know, uh, I, I have some golden memories of, of getting to know my first love in those early days of pressing and pursuing. This verse brings back some of those. It's such a fragrance of love in our quiet times with Jesus whenever we just get real with him. Verse 16, nevertheless, he says, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Now, uh, here the apostle Paul is clearly encouraging us uh, to realize that some people have greater revelation of the word of God than I do. You know, uh, there are just some people know more about God than I do. There are some people know more about righteousness than I do. There are some people know more about, you know, joy than I do. There are some people know more about peace than I do. There are some people that know more about uh, witnessing than I do. And I know more than some other people. You know, we all know differing levels about the Lord. But yet we are called as one body to walk by the knowledge we have, and every one of us possesses, every one of us possesses some very basic knowledge of God. How many of you know that you shall have no other gods before him? We all know that one. There are a good ten biggies right there. Okay? And there are some things that we know. There are some things that no matter who you are, whether you're lost or whether you're saved, you know the difference between right and wrong. And that's what he's saying. Listen, uh, we, we've got to understand that whereunto we have already attained, if you have grown farther than your, than your neighbor, then you need to live in the, in the revelation of God that you have. You need to walk in the place you have attained. But we ought to all at least walk, you know, in some basic rules. We need to, we need to live in the order that God has given us. Uh, we have all attained uh, you know, a, a, a different knowledge and, and, uh, of, of what's acceptable to God. You know, I'm well aware that some of you, you know, uh, you know watching or here on campus or, or online, that some of you um, um, believe that uh, playing cards is okay and some of you don't. Some of you believe dancing is okay, some of you don't. Some of you have a revelation in your heart that all tobacco products are something that, uh, that, that you need to stay away from. And some of the rest of you think, well, that's nothing. Hello? Alcohol. Some of you drink wine, some of you don't. The Apostle Paul faced the same thing. Some of you eat this meat, some of you don't. Some of you do this, some of you don't. Some of you drink this, some of you don't. Okay. Well, you know, uh, listen... Romans 14, you need to be fully persuaded that what you do is okay, but if you're walking in a revelation somebody else doesn't have, then, then we don't use those things to doubtful disputations. We don't, we don't want to cause troubles. We need to all walk by the same rule. There are some things that every one of us know that are intrinsically wrong. Hello. Those things are important that we cover the basis, but that you walk in the revelation you have, and you let somebody else walk in the revelation they have. And there aren't two truths, by the way. 
there's just graduations and levels of understanding that we attain to. Let me, let me put it like Moses put it. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. From the New Living Translation. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them. But we and our children are accountable forever for that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. Now, when God reveals something to you, you become accountable for it. And we all are accountable for some very basic rules of Christian life. There are some rules that go along with us being children of God, and we all are, you know, should accommodate those rules. No one is exempt from the things that God has revealed to you. Now, if God has not revealed to you that stealing is wrong, Lord Jesus, help you, wake you up. And we as Christians should not be lying in our businesses and cheating on our income tax. You know, uh, hello. I know it's tax time, but that's, that's the truth. We need to live by the revelation that we have because we all know what is right and wrong before God. And then if you get some greater revelation on something, like the Apostle Paul said when he was writing to the church in Corinth, listen, he said, I know, I have come to the place in my life that I know that there are no other gods. That's why eating meat sacrificed to idols don't bother me because I know there are no idols. <laughs> I know they don't exist. That's why I'm not bothered by it. But for conscience sake, I know some of you don't have that revelation. And so what I'm going to do is not uh, try to in enforce my belief on you of those things that, 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 uh, like that in those categories. Okay? Am I making any sense at all? Okay, thank you. Uh, if I am, you can say in your mind, amen. If not, you can say in your mind, oh me. Okay. Let's, let's uh, work at the conclusion of our, we, I'm, I'm, I want to get to superhuman, and I've got uh, just a minute or two. Uh, verse, uh, well, let's go down to verse 20. One of the things we need to realize here, is that our citizenship, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, in the middle of verse 21 is a word working. This word working is a Greek word, energia. And this Greek word, energia, literally means a superhuman energy. The reason I attach superhuman to it is because it's never used in the scriptures attributed to man. It's not the working of a man. It's the working that's above human. 
It's a superhuman energy. It's where we get the word energy from. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm having trouble imagining. But let me tell you something that has excited me and that the Apostle Paul wants us to get excited about. One is that our citizenship's in heaven. We've already been registered there. And as a citizen of Rome, he had certain privileges, one of which he could appeal, one of which, you know, uh, uh, there, there are numbers of citizenship privileges. Our citizenship is in heaven. Once we have been born again, that's why we can rejoice. That's why we can be happy whenever there's nothing to be happy about is because my citizenship, I am on the roll of heaven. I am a citizen of heaven. And something is going to happen. I'm eagerly awaiting something. I'm awaiting something that I cannot understand. But let me tell you what's going to happen, even though I don't understand it. This is what it says here is going to happen to people who are born again, to the citizens of heaven one day. One day, Jesus, with his ability, with his God ability... His superhuman creative ability, the energy, the sheer energy, the, the uh, uh, I don't want to limit it to electricity, I don't want to limit it to lightning, I don't know what it is, because it is a superhuman energy that he has. One day, he is going to transform me. My body and me from this mortal, from this limited, he calls it a lowly existence, to a glorious existence. One day, I don't know how it's going to happen. I have wondered about it. I mean, ever since I first read about it, I have wondered about it. How is it that when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, in, in, in our eternal estate, uh, sickness and pain and worry and death and fear. And how is it that I'm going to keep from sinning for the eternity? Anybody ever wonder that? Because, I mean, I'm, how is it that I'm, I mean, am I going to get kicked out of heaven on, on eternal year number 6,463? What, I mean, it, oh, are there do's and don'ts there? Oh, my goodness. Anybody ever imagine that? I mean, I have said, Lord Jesus, help me. I know me. I don't, you know, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I want to go to heaven, but are you sure I'm not going to mess it up? But no, I won't. Because there is a superhuman energy that Jesus has that was used when he first created man. This superhuman energy. That, 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 that uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what I shall be, but I know that when I see him, I shall be changed to be like him, the Bible says. I don't know how this, but, but, but he's, going to, he's going to somehow, somehow touch me, somehow touch you, because you're a citizen of heaven. He's, and this is what we eagerly await. Somehow he's going to touch you, and he's going to transform. He's going to metamor You're going to go through, a, through an instantaneous spiritual metamorphosis. And it will completely transform you and then conform you to his image. And you will remain, I mean, uh, why, uh, glorious. You will, you will not sin. You will be unable to sin. There will be no sin. There'll be no, I mean, I don't know. Whether you, I don't know. But it's going to happen because he has the power to subdue everything. 
He has the power to change everything. And this power that he has, he has told us, is at work in our lives even today. As we don't look at things which are, which are temporary, but things that are eternal. And while we, while we understand that our minds are being renewed, we're going through a transformation now, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by renewing our minds. Every time we learn more of the Word of God, it changes us a little more to be like Him. It gives us a little more of that energy and power. Anyway, that's, that's, uh, that's for tonight, okay? Thanks again for joining us for another dynamic message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to all of our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.